you for tuning in to Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and my guest today is El Paso County Commissioner for District 4, Lojinos Gonzalez. How are you doing today, Lojinos? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Thank you for making the time for being here today. I really appreciate it. Uh, so before we get started, I wanted to quickly add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, but to get into things here, Commissioner, I wanted to start by having you give uh, some of your background prior to becoming a county commissioner yourself. Uh, sure. And uh, thanks again for having me on. Uh, you know, I always like to highlight the uh, you know, what my parents uh, really uh, gave me and my, my sisters is, is a, uh, you know, a great life. Uh, they, uh, they were migrant immigrants, uh, from migrant worker immigrants from Mexico. Uh, I was born in the United States, and uh, they settled in, uh, in California, Central California, agricultural areas, small towns. Uh, you know, they focused in, and they worked the fields, uh, you know, the orange groves, the uh, uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, they could uh, provide for us. And uh, one of the things my parents, especially my father, really emphasized was education and hard work. And he really thought that if we got a good education, uh, that we could do anything that we wanted to. Uh, and so he really uh, uh, emphasized that. Uh, I took it to heart uh, as a youth, uh, studied really hard and uh you know, we were blessed because we didn't really have money for college, mm-hmm. uh, getting into the Air Force Academy. Uh, and so that was really uh, something that, uh, you know, game changer in terms of uh, being in pay, being able to uh, get through, uh, pay for a college. And uh, coming here to the Colorado Springs area, uh, did my four years here. Uh, uh, struggled initially because I came from a very small town with no advanced classes uh, mm-hmm. that that we could uh, study because uh, my town was just three thousand. Yeah. Uh, but uh, adapted uh, well after my my <laughs> freshman year. Uh, always a difficult uh, first freshman year at the Air Force Academy. Uh, but uh, then I did really well at the end, and uh, uh, I was able to uh, get into my first choice of career in the Air Force. Uh, uh, wasn't sure I'd sp- I'd stay more than the five years that right. was uh, the requirement uh, for uh, uh, going to the Air Force Academy uh, and getting the free education. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up uh, enjoying what I did. I was an intelligence officer, and, and I was good at it. And so uh, I spent 20 years in the military uh, all around the country, uh, worked my first uh, squadron intelligence uh, assignment, working with B-52s and then B-1s. And then intelligence officers generally go into a more general uh, a career field, and I ended up working a lot of Latin America work mm-hmm. uh, because I am a Spanish speaker uh, and uh, I got involved in some counter-drug work. Uh, spent several months down in uh, South America working with the Drug Enforcement Agency. Uh, then uh, I went overseas. Uh, like uh, most uh, air, uh, military members, uh, I spent a, a year in the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, did work out there. Uh, uh, not my most fun location uh, <laughs> uh, assignment, Fair. Uh, but the job was very good, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I was able to uh, learn a lot and uh, uh, expand uh, what I what I understood in the, in the field of intelligence. Uh, but uh, luckily, I was able to get back into some Latin America work, and I actually spent uh, uh, two years in Colombia uh, at the embassy. And the highlight, uh, I've mentioned this before, the highlight of my military career was I was the intelligence chief for collections down there when uh, uh, we were able to, uh, the Colombians were able to uh, uh, execute a uh, hostage rescue uh, oh, wow. And uh, that included three Americans. Wow. Uh, and so our U.S. support to them uh, was, was important, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, and so the highlight was uh, getting to see three Americans uh, returned uh, to the United States uh, after five-plus years as hostages. Wow. Uh, and the, uh, uh, the interesting part there is the, uh, the 12 
Colombian uh, hostages that were rescued uh, had each uh, spent, I believe, seven or more years as hostages, including a presidential uh, candidate for Colombia. So this was a big deal uh, and uh, highlight of my career. Uh, continued, uh, of course, for a few more years after that, uh, finishing up in uh, Texas. And uh, at the end of my military career, I decided, uh, you know, where do I want to move back to? And, uh, you know, I had really liked this area, loved this, uh, the outdoors, the, the front range region. And so I moved back to Colorado Springs. And so I moved back uh, 11 years ago mm-hmm. uh, after a 20-year career in the Air Force and uh, uh, worked a couple years at Northern Command, uh, continuing some, uh, some uh, Latin America work for them. Uh, but uh, I wanted to give back to my community, and so I ended up uh, transitioning into uh, becoming a middle school teacher. Uh, oh, wow. I'd done my master's degree in teaching and done the student teaching and everything. A lot of people just assume I did maybe troops to teachers, uh, but no, I had actually done my, done my uh, master's degree in education and science. And uh, so I was a middle school teacher for a little bit at uh, District 2, uh, Harrison School District. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I started getting more involved locally, and uh, I you know, I decided to make this run in, in politics. And uh, so I transitioned uh, uh, ran successfully for the District 4 race, uh, wow, uh, six and a half years ago now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's been a while now, in my second term now. Uh, and so I, I did that, but uh, I still continued to substitute teach uh, through last semester and mm-hmm. uh, uh, wanted to make sure that I give back to the community. And so uh, even though sometimes it's just for a couple hours, uh, a couple times a month, I, I was still trying to uh, work with students and the youth because I want to make sure that we're being good mentors yeah. for the next generation. And uh, uh, then I've enjoyed my last uh, six and a half year six and a half years now as a county commissioner and uh, the work we've been doing as a as a, a county to help our residents. Yeah, I, I think it'd be pretty safe to say that the transition from an intelligence officer in the Air Force to a middle school teacher may be a little drastic uh, for, for some. Well, I wasn't sure which one was more dangerous, though. Those <laughs> Middle Eastern years or the, uh, you know, no, I, I loved working with the, the kids. Uh, but yes, yeah, so you know, uh, especially the middle age, some of the kids can get a little, uh, oh, uh, yeah. uh, a little rowdy, but yeah. uh, uh, it was fun and I enjoyed it. And uh, I was just glad that I was able to help our community. No, that's great. And so how has being a teacher in these in these last few years helped with your current role that you have oh that's a good question and uh, you know what I really took a lot from it was uh, understanding uh, uh, the needs of parents in particular uh, and uh, the needs of different communities uh, amongst our, uh, our our not just Colorado Springs but El Paso County uh, we have 17 school districts here and very diverse uh, needs and uh, uh, what they see and, and on what they need for their communities. And, and that translates exactly to the county. Uh, the county has portions of uh, urban, rural, uh, front range, wildland interface, mm-hmm. uh, prairie, uh, military. Uh, and so very diverse. Same thing we saw in the school district and the uh, the people, uh, the uh, the parents I was interacting with. Uh, and then the, talking to the children, uh, their backgrounds. A lot of them were uh, from uh, military families, mm-hmm. uh, especially there in District 2, uh, just north of, uh, of Fort Carson, and then, uh, you know, immediately west of Peterson. Uh, we, we saw that the, the needs of the children uh, mirrored kind of what we saw in the El Paso County. And so it was something I, I think was very useful to understanding the backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, the needs of the community and the fam- the parents uh, and, and how it translates to what uh, we should be providing as a, as a county. Yeah. And with your own background, how has that helped being able to connect with kids and with students? I, you know, I have kids of my own and it's hard enough for me to connect with my own kids sometimes. Right. But how is having some uh, similar backgrounds, like you said, military or, you know, growing up in different areas, how has that helped you connect with those students that you had? Sure. The ones in District 2 uh, and Harrison School District is the most diverse uh, uh, school district in the uh, Colorado Springs area. And I think uh, 
one of the most, if not the most diverse also in the entire state. Uh, and so uh, the uh, students getting to see somebody like me with a similar background for many of them, either military uh, or from parents who were, you know, uh, immigrants or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, minorities, uh, they got to see that uh, somebody like them could get into one of the best colleges in the country right. uh, and could succeed uh, because of the support of the community and their parents. Very good. And so I also understand you would do things outside of work. Uh, <laughs> art is one of the hobbies that you have, from what I understand. Uh, how did you get involved in, in art in general, and what type of artwork do you like to do? Oh, sure. So uh, so as a county commissioner, a couple of things that people knew, I love the fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I always try to get more of our county ponds stocked. And I've had... Uh, had some pushback on that because, uh, uh, but uh, I, I always do what I can to, to, to fish and hike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I took up uh, art and painting during COVID because clearly those uh, during those early uh, months and shutdowns, uh, there was not much to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I ended up watching hours and hours and hours of uh, PBS uh, yeah. art specials, uh-huh. uh, uh, some online tutorials. Uh, and I had uh, sketched a lot when I was a kid, but really hadn't done anything in 30 plus years. Yeah. Uh, but during that time, I, I watched, I probably watched about 10 seasons worth of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, Bob, uh, uh, Bob, Bob Ross, uh, Bob Ross, right? Yeah. About 10 seasons worth of Bob Ross, but, uh, uh, really just a, a lot of the online tutorials, uh, PBS specials, uh-huh. uh, uh, other artists. Uh, and I just started painting and, uh, went from what I, I would consider, uh, art your mom would put on the refrigerator, you know, yep. in my first month or two of, <laughs> of uh, COVID to uh, really about 18 months later, uh, getting asked to participate in some uh, local First Friday art walks. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, so I've been in a couple of shows. And uh, uh, last year, uh, Mount Karma hosted a veteran submitted art. Uh, oh, yeah. And I was just really happy. I was the uh, People's Choice Award winner. Oh, very uh, cool. And there was over 100 submitted uh, uh, pieces for that uh, that show. And uh, we uh, sold that, uh, the, the, that winning piece and others for uh, uh, fundraising uh, nice. for Mark Carmel and yeah. for veterans. And so I was so very proud of the fact that I'm, uh, I, I've gotten to a level where uh, people appreciate uh, yeah. uh, my art. And, uh, you know, I'll probably continue to do that. It's, it's very... Uh, 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 reduces stress and, yeah. and in this uh, this job sometimes you need something like that and so uh getting out and hiking and or uh, get, spending some time uh, painting is something that i enjoy doing now it's a very calming and, and enjoyable for me yeah no absolutely i mean I, I as you pointed out during covid there seemed to be a dearth of things to do right and so when you're able to uh come up with hobbies i guess uh that come out of that even ones that apparently you had a hidden talent for maybe you didn't even know about it uh that that's really cool and really cool to hear um so what are some of your responsibilities as a county commissioner? I think it's easy to look at the position and say, it's an elected position, but we don't really know what they do. I mean, they're up there, they, they have meetings and things like that, but not really sure what they do besides that. Can you expand on that some? Sure. Uh, and what I tell people, the, the number one job of an El Paso or any county commissioner in Colorado uh, is approving and adopting a uh, annual budget. Uh, and so all the things that the county does uh, – roads and infrastructure, uh, public safety under the sheriff's uh, office. Uh, a lot of people don't realize the clerk and recorder uh, doesn't just do uh, elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, they run our DMVs. Oh, yeah. So DMVs, a lot of people are going to say, oh, I go to my DMV here in the city. Well, that's run by the county. Uh, Department of Human Services. So foster care, uh, SNAP, which would you know, previously, uh, you know, uh, welfare type uh, mm-hmm. activities. Uh, and other activities like that all fall under the county 
uh, and the budget comes from the county and is approved by the county commissioners. Now, a lot of those offices, uh, like uh, the clerk and recorder, the sheriff, uh, assessor, treasurer, uh, those are separately elected offices, Mm -hmm. but all of their personnel are county employees, and their budget comes from the El Paso County Commissioners. And so uh, the number one job has always been making sure that we have a strong and sound uh, annual budget. Uh, The other thing, of course, that I've tried to always emphasize is uh, the work with uh, uh, roads and infrastructure. How do we get better funding uh, for roads and maintenance, Uh, making sure that our public safety, uh, public health is taken care of. Uh, And then a lot of people uh, don't realize a a lot of our time at our uh, weekly board meetings deals with land use. Uh, and so land use, when we see a large project uh, in unincorporated areas, uh, those have to be approved by the county commissioners. And so uh, a lot of work on that because there's always concerns about is the development too big? Do they have the water uh, to you know, make sure that the, it's a successful project? Those are the kind of things we have to deal with uh, you know, on a weekly basis. And uh, some of these can be controversial. Others are, you know, uh, are quite easy, you know, mm-hmm. a rezoning of you know, one property to two might not be too controversial, although sometimes it is. Yeah, you never uh, you know. know <laughs> uh, versus large-scale projects that might bring a lot of contr- controversy and, and some public input. Uh, and so uh, that's largely what we do. Uh, and, and then there's also the other aspect of the additional uh, board meetings that we have. So each commissioner probably has between 12 to 15 additional uh, county boards uh, or committees that we uh, sit on mm-hmm. or are liaisons to. So a good example for me, uh, since I got the was elected six and a half years ago, I've been on the Board of Health. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have been on, I'm the liaison to the uh, public library uh, of the Fountain Creek Watershed District. Uh, I think I've spent uh, five of my six years uh, on that board as well, uh, and many others related to water. Uh, but, uh, you know, particularly the Board of Health, uh, when uh, I first joined, uh, we had uh, just months before that, I had uh, found out that there was the PFOS, uh, PFOA, uh, issues there in security of uh, the wide field aquifer. So mm-hmm. really security wide field fountain and, and parts of uh, uh, Stratmore uh, Hill, Stratmore Valley had water uh, issues related to the PFOS that had come from uh, then Peterson Air Force Base, now Space, uh, Space Force Base. Uh, and so uh, what mitigating things could we do working with the federal government and the Department of Defense to help make sure that uh, all our residents were having clean water. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's been a significant issue. Why I joined the board, why I asked to be uh, one of the two commissioners on that Board of Health. And so I've maintained that uh, uh, membership uh, through my six years. Uh, but we traditionally do root, rotate some of our board membership over. I, I was on the library board. I, I came off that. Now I'm back. Uh, uh, other uh, uh, boards similar to that. Uh, and we do try to choose ones that we're more interested in. One. Of course, sure. like the, the water district one, the water issue uh, for the Board of Health was in District 4. Yeah. And so that made sense. And then others are things that we care about uh, and, uh, you know, want to volunteer for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then because of our kind of higher profile in the community, we sometimes get asked to be on other boards. And so I've actually, I'm on the CASA board, you know, yeah. working with youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also on Mount Carmel as a veteran, uh, working for veterans. And then uh, uh, it's an independent or a separate board, not part of my county uh, requ- uh, uh, requirements, uh, but I'm sure it helped that I was a county commissioner. But uh, I I am also a member on the State Board of Veteran Affairs. Uh, okay. And, and that one made sense. I, I represent three military bases as a county commissioner, and mm-hmm. uh, I was a veteran myself, and every member must be a veteran. Uh, but the fact that I, I represent the three bases, I think it made sense that somebody from El Paso County 
uh, with five military bases in our community, uh, would be a member of the Veterans Board uh, and so for the state. And so uh, I have done what I can to uh, help in all those boards. But, uh, yeah, so uh, day-to-day, we, we may have one or two <laughs> meetings. And then, uh, you know, meeting with the public is uh, very important. I mm-hmm. uh, want to make sure that we always have uh, uh, open, transparent meetings and uh, try to do some uh, uh, community uh, uh, town halls right. uh, with the public. Right. Very good. Uh, one of those, uh, the primary thing you mentioned was approving and adopting an annual budget. Uh, we're middle of August right now, so we're recording this, but before you know it, we're going to start having those meetings for the annual budget to determine uh, what that's going to look like for the coming year. So at least as far as I understand your background, not so much in budgeting and finance. So how do you learn to be responsible, a responsible steward for a budget like El Paso County's when it may not necessarily be your own background? Sure. Uh, and that's a good question. Uh, but uh, one of the things that uh, I think military officers uh, get a good experience on if they do a full career uh, is that you move up. Uh, you do tend to get into headquarters positions mm-hmm. uh, where budgeting actually does become oh, an okay. important role. So at my last assignment in the Air Force, I was actually at the uh, Air Force's headquarters for intelligence. Uh, it was uh Air Force ISR agency. Okay. Uh, and so I was the deputy director of the, uh, the A2, uh, which is the intelligence aspect uh, uh, itself uh, within the branches of logistics uh, okay. operations, uh, the intel aspect of personnel. And mm-hmm. so uh, uh, we had budgets. And, and then I also ended up on the, uh, at one point with the test and evaluation, uh, where we uh, were working with uh, new uh, and, and future projects uh, that could be uh, an equipment that could be incorporated into the Air Force uh, collection systems. Uh, and those, uh, we always had budgets. And, and so we're also talking about million dollars, not hundred million dollar projects for our first thing. So uh, it, it, it actually was quite similar in trying to make sure that uh, budgeting is, uh, is, is frugal. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've yeah. always tried to be uh, frugal, trying to make sure that we are uh, maximizing our return on investment. And mm-hmm. uh, in my uh, six and a half years, I've always tried to emphasize uh, roads and infrastructure uh, and our public safety. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that happened just recently uh, was the announcement that Space Command headquarters is staying here in Colorado Springs. As someone who was in the Air Force, has a lot of connections to military, this must have been something that you were really happy about. Uh, why is that such a significant thing here for us in this region? Sure. And uh, it was always, I believe, the, the right thing for national security. Um, but for our region, uh, this is something that with the, the military bases that we have here, the installations, uh, the support that we've provided, I think we've proven that we are a strong supporter of our military. Uh, and you need to have that, and you want to have that. Uh, there's also the coordination between so many uh, defense contractors and uh, defense industry uh, leaders here in this community uh, that uh, meld perfectly with the, uh, the active military installations that we have uh, and then the contractor and industry and the Defense Department working here side by side. Uh, we've also seen the great support from uh, top to bottom at the state, uh, county, and local level of elected officials who mm-hmm. have been willing to support uh, in any way that's needed to support these bases. And that all helps, once again, to make sure that the military installations and their um, operations uh, are conducted in a way uh, that that's maximized at the national level. Yeah. Uh, and that's why for national defense, this made a lot of sense. And uh, a couple of the highlights there was it would have cost uh, some, uh, probably a billion dollars to move the headquarters to another location. Uh, the manning of that is about 50% civilian, uh, 50% uh, active duty military mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or reserves. Uh, but that 50% of the civilians, this is where people like 
to live and work. Yeah. And uh, they would have lo- likely lost a lot of that civilian expertise had it moved somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, additional aspects about having to have uh, secure uh, uh, and defensible communications, again, could have cost billions of dollars more uh, if they had to do that from scratch in a different location. And so, yeah. uh, again, uh, for the economics of the government and national security, uh, uh, it made sense to stay here, and we're very proud that we were able to retain it. Very good. And then another big issue that recently came to a resolution was the county redistricting process. Yep. Uh, so how does going through a process like that help showcase the county's efforts to be transparent in the work that it does? Right. Uh, well, from day one, we wanted to make sure that we had a great public input to this process. Uh, and so uh, we uh, ended up having 10 total meetings on this. And we wanted to make sure at every stage we had public input uh, so that we could uh, do our best effort at developing maps uh, that would make sense for our, our diverse community mm-hmm. that we have. Again, uh, trying to meld the, the, the wildland interface on the west side, the uh, urban centers, the, uh, uh, the eastern plains, uh, the military installations, and uh, uh, just the differences that we have uh, from our small, uh, uh, small municipalities. Uh, trying to make sure what worked best to have uh, our five uh, commissioner districts uh, 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 redistricted in a in a way that uh, you know that made sense for, uh, for everybody, and so that public uh, input was vital. Uh, I think we did a great job in being transparent and uh, explaining the process from day one through the, that tenth meeting. And uh, uh, at the end, we ended up taking uh, several maps uh, and then taking variants of maps that we thought were were going in the right direction. Uh, and uh, again, uh, doing so in a way that. Uh, uh, maximized uh, what made sense for a community while meeting the uh, the mandates from the state. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was a state law that uh, mandated the process and make sure uh, we did it in a way that uh, complied with that. Uh, the first thing, of course, was making sure that the population of each of the five districts was roughly the same uh, from top to bottom, from the largest uh, district to the smallest one, had to be within 5% of, of the populations. And so mm-hmm. that was always the one number one aspect. And then looking at communities of interest uh, and other aspects of, uh, uh, including uh, competitiveness in uh, districts uh, were other areas uh, that were looked at as well. And so I, I thought we did uh, the best job that we could. Uh, uh, can't always have a – you couldn't have a perfect map, right? Uh, right? There's, <laughs> there's too many things that needed to be done, but uh, very proud of the work that we did. And uh, uh, the comments mostly from uh, from the residents. Uh, I'll highlight the, the fact from the first couple of meetings, uh, uh, what the residents asked for, we actually ended up incorporating – in the final map, which is the number one thing that we heard was uh, uh, consolidating the southeast part of Colorado Springs, uh, which is a high minority area, into uh, to, into one district. And we did get that all in District 5. Uh, keeping Monument whole, uh, that was asked for. And that uh, was split in the previous uh, map. Uh, and that was done as well. Uh, comments about the Patty Jewett neighborhood in the middle of the city, uh, trying to get that whole because it was split between the districts five and uh, three. Uh, we made those whole. Uh, and then after the first couple of meetings down in the Fountain Valley, the area I represent, uh, they were very loud about making sure that we uh, they kept uh, Fort Carson as part of District 4, and we did that as well. So uh, the the main request from the public that we heard, for, uh, heard of, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to accomplish in this map, and so I was very proud of it. Yeah. Now, and how does being transparent and working with the public uh, in general really relate to the other issues that you work on, the other work that you do as a county commissioner? Well, you want, always want to have trust 
and you need to have the support of the public. Uh, you know, if we have something we're moving forward on, what's an appropriate budget? The public needs to know that we're doing what's best uh, and doing our best effort uh, for what, uh, what's best for the community and what's best for them. And so uh, if you're not transparent, uh, you're going to hurt that trust. Yeah. Uh, and so being a transparent, open, uh, and having as many meetings as we did in that example, but in any example, having town halls, mm-hmm. uh, bringing the public together when we have uh, issues of importance, uh, that builds trust. And so when we make decisions, uh, it, it helps that that trust has already been built so that we have, uh, they understand, it's like, yes, uh, hey, the county commissioners have likely made a decision that uh, uh, that made the sen- made most sense for all of us. Yeah, no, that's very good. Um so you mentioned this a little earlier. You, you've now served as a county commissioner for over six years at this point. Yep. Uh, can you talk about some of the accomplishments that you're proud of uh, since you've been a county commissioner, as well as some of the things that you'd like to see done prior to the end of your term? Sure. Uh, and, and I'll focus on two. Uh, one I had mentioned before, the uh, PFOS, PFOA uh, issue uh, from day one. Uh, that was a significant issue because it had uh, just happened within a, probably six months before I took office uh, and in terms of having it identified as, as an issue by the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we were able to get the, uh, uh, the residents uh, quickly uh, to uh, filtration systems for homes uh, funded by the Department of Defense. Uh, and over the course of the, that first year and second year, getting uh, commercial-grade, large-scale filtration systems to the water districts. Uh, and so over the course of several years of uh, transition to, to these uh, commercial grade water filtration, uh, filtration systems where their water districts were able to now produce uh, basically uh, uh, water that had non-detect of PFOS. And so basically they getting it down to, uh, they're not even identifying any PFOS in the water that's being brought up. Uh, and so, uh, very proud of the fact that uh, within that first year, uh, we were able to make sure our residents down there were all drinking um, uh, clean, safe water. Uh, and uh, even the households that remained on well waters have continued to receive filtration, uh, home filtration systems uh, and replacement uh, filters for their homes by the Department of Defense because of the efforts done by all the local electeds. Uh, but I think the uh, county... Uh, were great leaders in making sure that the federal government and Department of Defense uh, uh, did what they, they were supposed to do and take care of our residents. And so we've continued to do that. Uh, it's always uh, when I do uh, the rare times that I do get to meet the U.S. Senators uh, for Colorado, which is a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, just the other the other uh, week when I saw Senator Bennett at the uh, Space Command, oh, yeah. uh, I actually reminded him, say, oh, don't forget about our PFOS. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, make sure that keeps funded, yeah. uh, fun- funding for the filtration systems because we want to make sure that the uh, Department of Defense does what the, they're supposed to do and take mm-hmm. care of our residents uh, because of this issue came yeah. you know came from the, uh, the military. Uh, but they have been great partners too. Uh, from day one, the, the Department of Defense uh, – uh, stood with us and uh, the leadership at Peterson and uh, stood with us in making sure that we got uh, things done. Uh, the other aspect is uh, from day one, I was always focused on making sure our roads and infrastructure had received a, a uh, increased portion of our annual budget uh, because that's what I was hearing from the public. Uh, and every year it, it is always uh, first or second on what the public uh, uh, has concerns of making sure our roads are taken care of. Uh, and so I've always made sure that additional funds have gotten into roads and infrastructure. Uh, and if you look back from when I started to, to now, you see a great increase 
to uh, to our uh, funding. Uh, it's still, uh, I don't think, where it needs to be, uh, but with lean budgets, because the county does have lean budgets every year, uh, it has been the best we can do, and I think the public can uh, uh, can trust us that uh, we've been doing what we can to get those roads and uh, uh, bridges and infrastructure improved, and uh, we're going to continue to do so uh, through the end of my, uh, my term. So what are some things, in your opinion, that you think El Paso County residents should be paying close attention to in the coming months and years? Sure. Well, that's a great question. Uh, and as I, I go into my, my last year, next year, uh, one of the things they need to continue to look at, uh, as I've talked about, uh, trying to increase uh, funding for roads and infrastructure and uh, you know, public safety, uh, is a softening of the economy. Uh, because uh, with uh, potentially reduced revenues or flat revenues, uh, you know, funding for important projects like roads and like public safety, because statewide, uh, and locally and, and nationwide, uh, we've seen a, uh, an uptick in uh, crime. Uh, we need to make sure we can address that. And so uh, anytime we're looking at annual budgets that are need to get increased in those areas, uh, a, a soft economy is going to uh, not allow additional, uh, potentially additional funds to those areas. And uh, I'm always going to prioritize that. If for some reason the economy comes down, I'm going to make sure that those areas receive still uh, the largest proportion of our budget. Uh, but that's something just in terms of, like, uh, services uh, that people need to be aware of. Uh, and then, as we've already started seeing right now, uh, of the uh, you know, high inflation, you know, uh, other issues, property taxes uh, right now are probably what I'm getting a, a lot of concerns about. Um, and uh, the public uh, should be aware that uh, with these increased, uh, what we saw, the uh, statements for the uh, valuations mm-hmm. uh, on the uh, – property taxes, that El Paso County still falls under Tabor. Uh, there's also a secondary rule uh, in terms of how how much a uh, property uh, tax valuation can be increased. Uh, and so El Paso County will reduce the rate uh, as required. And so you will see a reduction of, uh, I'd say, a, a lesser increase mm-hmm. uh, to that property tax bill uh, as El Paso County as we go through the budget process, uh, we'll reduce the rates uh, to make sure that the, we do not uh, keep that that increase. Uh, I believe Colorado Springs uh, and our other municipalities locally also have that. Uh, but what residents also need to be concerned about or uh, have input on is the largest proportion of your property tax bill is paid to school districts. So they need to get with their local school district uh, to understand if they are still uh, tied to Tabor, or if they have uh, de, uh, detabored in some way, uh, if they have detabored in some way, then they're going to need to ask that school board to reduce the rates on the property tax. Uh, again, residents do need to follow up on this because the large proportion of the property tax goes to school districts, not to the county, not to the cities. Uh, and so uh, they should be, and I've been recommending everybody, get with your school boards, uh, request that they reduce the rates, uh, and uh, the ones that are still tied to Tabor would be forced to do that. There are others that are not. Uh, they would have to make a, a change. And so uh, uh, I think uh, we need to be very careful. Uh, we've seen inflation, and we see this uh, this hit on the property taxes going to hurt residents if uh, cha- if uh, uh, reduced rates aren't uh, passed in some way. So, uh, hey, get out there, talk to your school districts. Uh, the county will do what we've always done. We'll, we will reduce those rates in, mm-hmm. uh, for the county pr- uh, portion of the tax. 
Yeah, and that's actually brings up a really interesting thing. So uh, last year, I remember when we were going through the budget discussions, and I say last year because I've only been with the county for a year. Um, I remember when the presentations were happening, there was a, a slide that went up that showed a dollar, a dollar bill and kind of sliced it up and said, this portion of your taxes goes to schools, this portion goes to roads, this portion goes to X, Y, Z. And it actually did a really good job for me illustrating, oh, wait a second, like, our, yeah, like a majority of our taxes do in fact go to public schools, like you were saying. And one thing that I think is great about the way we do things and in trying to be transparent, all of those budget meetings are open to the public. Uh, they can come and see those for themselves and get an understanding of how El Paso County is working their budget. And so what you're saying about people, you know, learning about these things, we're not, you're not asking them to go do re a whole bunch of research on their own. They can actually come to budget meetings like, like ours and get some of that information for themselves. Yeah. Well, we'll have numerous uh, meetings uh, and I, I have my first one-on-one -on -one meeting with our budget uh, office, I believe, in a week or two. Uh, and then we're going to immediately go into meetings. And uh, September and October are the uh, uh, really the uh, the months where we we do the hard uh, uh, the hard work to mm -hmm. get this done. And, and with our budget office, and uh, uh, the main parts of that is going to be done in the open meetings at our board meetings. And so I always ask the public to come in, uh, give us advice. They can do it online. Mm -hmm. Hey, we recommend you spend more money here. We yeah. recommend you spend more money there. Uh, and then, uh, as I will later, I uh, will highlight the fact that the, I always say the second to last meeting uh, is the most important because we will literally bring up the Excel spreadsheet. I don't know if it's Excel, but spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. uh, the spreadsheet, which is the dollar amounts, and we will literally move dollars around. Mm -hmm. Up, oh, let's add 500 here. Reduce two fifty here, reduce two fifty there yeah. to areas of the budget that we think are critical, uh, and the public can be right there during the public comment. Said, "Hey, we think you need to add here, or you this is too much money here," and we make those changes in that last meeting. It might be ninety five percent done, but we'll make last minute changes there. Uh, the last meeting is usually just a, an approval, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think in any of my six previous uh, budgets uh, have we made a change on the last day mm -hmm. uh you can right but we've not done so mm -hmm. it's always a second to last one so i always recommend people to do that but uh ask people to follow the budget give us advice you can do it online you can come to the meetings and do it at the meetings but it's very important to make sure that your priorities get addressed in the budget uh by coming to the meetings or, or sending us those recommendations online excellent and then uh, before we close out here, I was just wondering if there's anything else that you'd like to add, maybe something we haven't covered yet or uh, a point that you think is really important you just want to reiterate. Uh, well, for me, I've just always been uh, so proud to be in this position, uh, the being able uh, to be a voice for the public and our residents. Uh, I, I do take that uh, to heart. It, it's important role here. Uh, and so I, I just ask the public to come out to our meetings, uh, provide input uh, regardless of the area, uh, and uh, you know that uh, that your input is uh, is valued, uh, and that uh, you know when we work together we can get things done. And so uh, uh, I think we've been able to do that in my six and a half years, and I want to make sure that uh, my last year is the the strongest and best. And so I ask for that continued uh, feedback and input from the public. Excellent. Uh, well, thank you, Commissioner Gonzalez. I appreciate you taking the time today, and for all the work that you do uh, for El Paso County here. So thank you thank for being you. here. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, you can find us on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.